Welcome. I am going to jump straight into the message, but let us pray just before we get into it. Father, we, we thank you for who you are. Jesus, we celebrate you this morning. Father, we come into to these doors this morning, not to, a, not to a building, not to chairs, and not to a service, Father God, but to remember and celebrate the fact that you have risen. Father, I pray that this morning as we go to your word, as we look at some of the stories immediately following after you rising out of the tomb 2,000 years ago, would you speak to our hearts? Would we, would we have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying this morning? Father, I thank you for every person that decided to spend their morning with us this morning, and I pray that they would leave encouraged. I pray that they would leave refreshed. And Father, I just pray for a time afterwards that we would just have such a great time connecting as family. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Happy Easter, everybody. Who, does anybody have the best Easter invite of this Easter? Anybody have huge plans? Huge plans. Anybody? Looks like it's a powerful Easter this, this year for Lane Park Church. Your best invitation is coming this morning. You're already there. That's why you're all speechless. Invitation. I have gotten some pretty cool invitations in life. I've been to some pretty, pretty cool kind of parties and just like extravagant ones and small ones and intimate ones and big ones. But this morning, the, 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 sermon, of, the, the sermon title is Your Easter Invitation. And I wanted to share, as I usually do, to begin with a story around an invitation that, that I didn't receive, that, that someone else received, and I was there, and so I just want to tell you about their invitation I, I first kind of need to describe what the event was that we were invited to. So one, um, one, one Christmas, we were invited to, and Angie's not here, so I can't look to her as a reference point if I'm getting it wrong or not. Angie and I were invited to Angie's grandmother's house in Mexico for Christmas. And, and the way that they do Christmas, and I just want to kind of explain it, is, is not like a polite, like, sit-down dinner and then you go home, and you're really polite, and it was just really quiet. Their, their dinners are filled with so much food, so much laughter, so much drink, and you'd stay up, and you, you go on Christmas Eve. So it's actually a lie to say it's Christmas. You go on Christmas Eve, and you stay there until, uh, you probably stay until about 3 in the morning, and, and stay up, I mean, and you, you sleep there, and it's just this, it's this huge party. And so you do everything um, in Christmas on Christmas Eve. And so you stay up quite late, and the kids love it. And then Christmas Day is far more just about relaxing, and you have a huge meal. And so we were invited, and, and I had been maybe once or twice before, so I, I really knew what was a part of this. But there was, there was another family member whose boyfriend was invited for the first time. And so, um, and, and this wasn't just the first invitation to a Christmas party. This was the first time for this boyfriend to actually meet the family, to meet, meet the dad, and to me, and so you just have a sense of what this invitation was. And so I remember to, to get to, to Nogales, where we were heading to from Tucson, where I lived, it's about an hour's drive. And so it's, it's okay. And we drove separately from, from um, the other folks in our family, and, and we got there. And, and the party kicked off. And I remember it, it became very apparent immediately that, that and I need, to, I need to give him a name, otherwise I'll, um, I don't, yeah, I, I want to help not betray confidence of poor people. Um, we're going to call him um, uh, John, because John's a good name. Uh, so John, uh, John immediately, you could tell from the very first moment that the first plate of food was offered, 
he was, oh, no, thank you so much, but, I, uh, you know, it's, it's okay. And so, but, but the funny thing is, is like there's kind of like a tradition in, uh, in a Mexican household that they want to fill you up as much as they possibly can. So, so just one rejection of one plate of food wasn't going to be enough. I think he probably had, I don't know, 10 different plates of food offered and loaded the plate up. And I think, I think he, he ate a very little bit just to be polite. But it was so obvious that he wasn't eating, and I think more food kept coming. And then it was, it, there were was, there was so many drinks there. There's a Mexican drink called horchata. And it's like, uh, I can't even describe it, but coconut milk, it's just, it's really good. And there's another one called Jamaica, which is um, kind of like a berry drink. And, and he, he said, no, thank you so much. And he busted out his own big flask of, you know, water or w- whatever it was that he had. He said, no, thank you. I've, I've got my water here. And then he kept leaving the dinner table to go outside and check on his car to make sure his car was okay and that, like, it, it wasn't, like, and, and then not only that, because in Mexico, around, around the Christmas time, they, it's, it's fun to celebrate, and there was fireworks going off, and there may have been gunshots going off as well, but you don't really worry about it. You just trust that as long as you don't hear the gunshots hitting the house, you just keep having fun, right? But every time there was more gunshots or fireworks, I didn't go out to inspect, but he did. Every time, you know, there was just, it kept disrupting from the, uh, the, the, the revelry and, and the and the party. He didn't eat the food, he didn't drink the drink, and he kept leaving to check on his car, and the gunshots did become distracting. Made for a great story on our way home, though. Me and Angie were, were, it it was good. But this morning, as we're talking about invitations, the invitation given was not to come to the party. That's not what the invitation was. The invitation was to participate in the party. The invitation wasn't to arrive at the party, but it was to share food and drink together, to share stories and laughter together, to connect and love as a family. And this morning, as we're in Easter, Easter is more than just a significant thing that Jesus did a long time ago, or something that we remember, or even a service that we attend, but there is an invitation to participate. There's an invitation to participate in what Jesus did on that cross 2,000 years ago. Our participation is key. And hear hear this thought this morning, that Jesus rising from the tomb is not just a celebration, but an invitation. And I believe you can arrive at the celebration, but absolutely miss large portions of what the invitation is. Matthew 28 verse 1 says this, talking about what happened immediately after uh, the, the series at the tomb. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, which was so well illustrated in that video for us. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. One of the things that I love to do is I love love to look at Scripture through the eyes of the people that live in Scripture. 
It's one thing to just kind of look at, at black words on white paper, and it's another to put yourself in the shoes of those people that, that are, are living this. And one of the things is I want to look, if we can, look at it through the eyes of the disciples. We know the end of the story. We know far into it, and we've seen history unfold before us. But if we can for a moment just put ourselves in, into specifically the disciples' Uh, the disciples' shoes. Because what I want to do this morning is I want to look at, at three different interactions that Jesus had with three different groups of people. And I want to look at three different invitations that Jesus offers us in this Easter season. And, and hear it through the lens of, it's not nice just to attend a service, but there's an invitation to engage. There's an invitation to participate. There is a call to action this Easter, not just a celebration of remembering for one Sunday. How many of you know that what Jesus came to do was not just to celebrate and remember him one day out of the year, but there's an invitation to engage in what he has brought and what he did rising on the cross. So the first invitation I want to look at this morning is found in one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and he's famous for his doubt, Mr. Thomas. John 20, verse 24 says this, Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I think... As we look at this story, let's first look at it through Thomas's eyes. I can, I can imagine, it's, it's easy to just kind of, I think, flow through Scripture so quickly and be like, doubting Thomas, we get it, he doubted now, he saw Jesus and he believes. But if we pause and think about where Thomas was really at, can you imagine how broken he was? Can you imagine how upset he was? Can you imagine, those are such strong words, I will never believe. Thomas has lost his friend. He's lost his hopes for the future. He is hurting. He is in pain. And I love that his friends, the people around him are saying, Thomas, we've seen Jesus. It's okay. But how many of you know that sometimes when pain comes along, pain has a way of overruling what other people say? Pain has a way of overruling. I I appreciate that you see the light, but I'm in pain right now, and I'm not actually seeing through some of those things that you see. I'm glad that you've seen him, but I hurt too bad. This is too big of a fantasy for me to believe. It's too painful. It hurts too much. Thomas declares if he doesn't touch the marks in Jesus' hands or side, he will never believe. I was thinking about this statement. I was thinking specifically when we look at the issue of pain, I wonder how many of us have said we will never do something because of pain in our lives. We will never forgive this person. We will never make that mistake again and be vulnerable with another person. I will never be able to go and do that thing again. I will never. 
That's a powerful statement. I will never. And that's the place that Thomas finds himself in. I will never believe. That is a powerful indication of how much pain this man is in. This, has, this is a pain that has forever implications, deep pain. This is pain that stays for a long time. doesn't matter how many years have passed or months, it still feels the same. But in the middle of this, this is where your first Easter invitation this morning is found. First invitation is this. There is an invitation to touch his scars. There is an invitation to touch his scars. Jesus comes and he says, peace be with you. He comes with an offer of peace in the midst of pain. And the way that he offers this to Thomas is an invitation to literally touch the scars of Jesus. Isaiah 53 verse 4 prophesying about Jesus many years before he was ever born says this, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The invitation to touch his scars is not just an invitation for Thomas to see the pain that Jesus went through. Touching those scars is far more significant to Thomas's own personal pain. It is through the wounds of Jesus that we find healing. It is through the punishment of Jesus that we find peace. When we remember what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago and we celebrate Easter without receiving the invitation to touch these scars, we miss so much of what he did. This morning, he is inviting you to touch those scars. He's inviting you for those forever hurts, those things that you said you will never do again, that you will never forgive. You will never talk to that person again. Jesus is inviting you to touch his scars, for it is through his scars, for it is through touching his scars that you find peace, that you find healing. I think touching those scars means so much. I don't know if you've met somebody that has, has a significant scar, and there might be folks in here that have scars. When you, when you see somebody that has a scar, you know they've been through something. You know they've gone through something. Jesus not only went through his own stuff, but his scars represent your hurts. He took on your pain and his scars, so when you touch his scars, you're touching your scars. He has taken on himself everything that you have felt. His scars are, and and hear, hear this. I think it's one thing to kind of like understand this, but it's another to understand that he's actually felt everything that you've felt. He took on him everything that you've done, everything, every pain that you've felt, all of that he's taken on himself. And hear this. When Thomas touches those wounds, they're no longer festering. They're no longer bleeding. Their wounds, their scars to be touched. His wounds are restored. His, 
What does that mean for us? It means that he's already completed the healing for your wounds. This morning, the invitation to touch his scars is an invitation to touch your wounds that he's already paid the price for, that he's already healed, that he's already gone before. Those forever hurts. When you touch those scars, your healing is complete. This Easter, don't attend a service, but reach out and touch his scars. He is looking. He's he, he's inviting you. Notice how he invites Thomas, touch them, reach out and touch them. This morning, reach out and touch those scars, those forever hurts that may still be lingering. Too many Easter's may have passed with you coming to celebrate, with you arriving at Easter, but not you accepting the invitation to touch those scars. For through his scars, we find peace, we find healing. Your forever pain. And this is just a bonus point. When you touch his scars, you're not just touching his pain and your pain, but just the thought that you're touching everyone else's pain as well. That was a sobering thought to me as I was preparing for this message. I think it's so easy to get wrapped up in our own journey, in our own pain, in our own, you know, Jesus, where aren't you there for me? But when you touch his scars, when you receive, when he gives that invitation to touch his scars, you're touching, you're touching his pain. You're touching your pain that he put everything on, but you're also touching the pain of everyone else and the sin of everyone else that has been put on him. That gives us powerful perspective. It should be an, an encouraging thing when we can begin to gain compassion for those around us. The second invitation from Easter this year, is found into two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And I just want to read this passage out. Luke 24, verse 13 says this, that very day, the day that Jesus arose from the tomb, later on that day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels, which we read out in Matthew 28, who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. 
When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? The second invitation that I believe Holy Spirit is offering to us on this Easter, not just to arrive at, not just to celebrate, but to participate with, to engage is this. The second invitation is an invitation to move from amazement in Jesus to belief in Jesus. And there's a significant difference. Move from amazement in Jesus to belief in Jesus within our hearts. We have to just pause and again, reflect on the state of the person that Jesus engaged. What what was the state of these guys on the road to Emmaus? It says, Jesus says, what's up guys? They are sad. They are so sad. Why is them being sad significant? Why? Pause on it. Do you know that later on, they go on to talk about how they've already heard the news that Jesus has risen. But they're sad. They're still sad. It reflects a couple of different things that I want to explore this morning. They go on to explain why they're sad. They're sad because Jesus... A man who was a prophet died, and they had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And not only are they sad, but they are also amazed, because that very morning some of the women had come back from the empty tomb after a visitation from some angels declaring that Jesus is alive. But they're still sad, even with these reports. I believe they are sad because they still don't know who Jesus is. They're amazed by Jesus. They're amazed at reports that this guy, Jesus, has done some amazing things. And there's even a possibility he may have risen. But do you notice they declare their intentions of why they're sad when they describe who Jesus is? Do they say, Jesus, the almighty son of God? No, who do they say? They say, Jesus, he was a mighty prophet. He was a mighty man. He did some amazing things and were broken. But they were missing the core and the identity of who Jesus is. And we look at at Jesus' response to them. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can I tell you this morning, it is not enough to be amazed by Easter. It is not enough. But rather, Jesus gives us an invitation to move from amazement to belief. Do you know it's interesting that you can be amazed and still slow of heart to believe? That's what that Jesus himself says, you're still, oh foolish ones, you're slow of heart to believe. And yet they said these women had amazed us. It is not enough to be interested in Jesus. It's not enough to believe that he did some amazing things. But Jesus opened up the scriptures to them and said, all of the scriptures from Moses through the prophets have all been pointing to me as the Messiah, the Son of God, the man that came to redeem the world. There is a powerful shift from thinking that is amazing to accepting the invitation that Jesus offers us to move into that place of belief. You can be amazed and still slow of heart to believe. We can be amazed by many people, but it is in believing that Jesus is the Son of God where there can only be victory. But they were sad 
They had hoped it would be one way. They had thought that this is who Jesus was. They had hoped that he was going to redeem Israel in a way that they had in their minds. Too many of us are sad and we had hopes. I don't know what your had hopes are, but you fill in the blank. You might have had hope for this family member to do something. You might have had hope to step into a greater calling. You might have had hope for your family situation to work out a certain way. You might have had hoped that that job would have worked. You might have had hope that there was something. I don't know what your had hopes are. I don't know what you'd hope for. But this Easter, there is an invitation to move from being amazed to Jesus. Because amazement is not enough to go through those hopes. But understanding and believing who Jesus is, is the thing that will truly meet those had hoped for things. Believing that he's the son of God. Because all of your sadness, everything that you'd hoped for, gets put under submission of the identity of who Jesus is. That this morning is our second Easter invitation. Our hearts then move from being slow of heart, being slow to believe, to believing. And then what does the scripture say to these men? Did our hearts not burn within us? These gentlemen shifted from being slow of heart to believe and sad to when Jesus, when they encountered, when they believed, they went to where? There was a stirring in their heart. Did not our hearts burn within us? And their eyes were opened to declaring not that a mighty prophet or a mighty man had arisen, But what do they say? They say, my Lord and my God. Do you see the shift of what that is? There's an understanding deep in their souls that this man is truly the Savior of the world. This morning, can I encourage you on this Easter to get a new sense of belief in your hearts that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus came to redeem mankind. That no matter where you are, the pain that you've experienced, the things that you'd hoped for, can I just speak the truth in faith and prophetic declaration that he is the son of God and he will see those things come to fruition. There has to be a belief that stirs in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is. Because then we don't come and work ourselves up into a frenzy saying he's risen. We step out with a burning heart and see that impact come into the lives of where we go. Jesus, in the final and third invitation, appears before his disciples. And here's where the last invitation is extended to us. Luke 24, verse 44. Jesus has just appeared to all of his disciples shortly after this, this uh, encounter on the road to Emmaus. Then he said to them, him being Jesus, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. This last invitation is a powerful, big um, epic invitation, but I don't want us to get lost in the bigness of it. But the third and final invitation is this, is to proclaim the forgiveness of sins through Jesus to the nations. 
The first part of this invitation is a personal one. It's to repent. It's to receive forgiveness for your sins. That in Jesus rising from the dead, death has truly been defeated. 1 Corinthians 15, 54. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is an active invitation to repent and receive forgiveness for your sins through Jesus For it is only through Jesus defeating death. It is only through him defeating death that the power of the law is broken over your lives and you can have victory. That is a powerful statement for us. Even for some of those, you might might have a relationship with Jesus. You might not. I'm speaking to everyone. There's too many Christians that walk around with a death mindset. But I want to tell you that Jesus has conquered death. That there's no thing that can come across what Jesus has done. There's nothing that he can do. There's nothing that you'd hope for that hasn't come to fruition. There's no pain that you've experienced that he can't touch. For death has been defeated. That is not an invitation to celebrate. That is an invitation to participate, to show that life. One of the things, and I just want to invite you, if maybe you'd don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're, you're just maybe mildly interested, can I invite you to come along to Alpha that Shannon told you about? Colin and Charmaine are just down here in the third row. Charmaine's got a white, white top on. Colin's give you a very friendly wave. That's how friendly it's going to be if you go to Alpha. It's, it's powerful. We believe so strongly that we want to give people an opportunity to find out more about Jesus. There's an opportunity coming soon on May 1st. So first, an invitation to have our sins forgiven then I love this, the invitation to proclaim this to the nations. This is not uh, a singular invitation just given to the disciples. This is given to every believer of Jesus that steps into uh, the identity of a son and daughter of the king. Proclaim. What does the word proclaim mean? Because it's easy to just be, proclaim the, you know, just move on. Proclaim means to announce officially or publicly. The pro and proclaim means forward or out. So a proclamation is an outward statement intended for the public. I love that. I looked up the definition of to the nations. It means to the nations. What does that mean? To everyone. Proclaim outwardly, publicly, officially to everybody the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. A life that proclaims this publicly is one that practices dying to self daily. The proclamation that our lives make of forgiveness of sins is best done through His power, not ours. And hear this the key to proclaiming this forgiveness is in accepting and participating in each of the invitations that we've looked at this morning extended this Easter. It's it's far trickier to proclaim forgiveness of sins when you have gaping wounds that you haven't touched the scars of Jesus to see him begin to heal. Because it's it's in your testimony of his, by his wounds you are healed. It is in your testimony of your wounds being healed that you can proclaim it outwardly. The second thing, it is hard to proclaim forgiveness of sins outwardly, publicly, somewhere else. When you are still amazed by Jesus and interested in him, but you haven't stepped, but you're a little bit slow of heart to believe, to to proclaim forgiveness of sins in Jesus. 
to the nations, to everyone. You need to be walking with the belief and hearts that are burning within you that he is the son of God, that he did those things to save us, that he offers the free gift of grace to us. There's, no, there's nothing that you or I can do to earn it. He offers this free gift to you, but that needs to burn inside our hearts. Not just be slow of heart to believe, not to be amazed from a distance, but to allow him to grip our hearts so that we begin to proclaim it outwardly. We don't just celebrate and remember, but we're invited to participate. In the last, it's so hard to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins if you yourself just don't surrender over to Jesus. You're not dying to self daily saying, God, I'm giving everything over to you. Man, there's, there's no one that has it all together. My goodness. Can I speak grace over you this morning? But can I speak grace empowered that Jesus willingly offers us the invitation to have our sins forgiven? Forgiven lives that understand the heart and identity of the Father are able to proclaim that forgiveness with grace and love. So this morning... I just want to invite you. We're just going to take a little bit of time. I just, can I ask you every, every eye closed and head bowed just for privacy for this moment. I'm going to give an opportunity to, if you would like to be prayed for, by no means you have to, but I just want to pray with you. That if, if one of these invitations, you recognize you would like to take a further step. Maybe you've eaten a little bit of the food. You touched a little bit of his scars, but you've kept some of those forever hurts to you. Maybe you believe him for some things, but there's just some hopes that are too deep that you just don't quite believe Jesus for that. And maybe this morning you're needing forgiveness of sins. And that's something that Jesus offers so willingly. There's nothing that we have to do just to receive the free gift of salvation. I just want to invite you. If, if one of these things is touching you, would you just raise your hand this morning? And I'd love to pray with you. Would you just put your hand out? Because there's power in declaring something. Don't just keep this to yourself because this word says proclaim. Proclaim is an outward pushing. That's an outward thing. That means there's an action that's needed. And will you, if you don't have your hand up, will you begin to intercede for people to walk in this extra degree of freedom? Because I, I want to be encouraged that I have a people that are on fire, that their hearts are burning within them, that they can't contain what Jesus is doing and they're proclaiming who he is at every step because we're not going to stop until we stir up who Jesus is. It's a free gift of salvation. He willingly offers it. He willingly invites you to touch his scars. This is not just empty words. There is truth. By his wounds, you are healed. By his punishment, we can find peace. This morning, will you just pray as we pray for these people? Father, I ask that right now your spirit would fall on each individual that's placed their hand up and everyone that hasn't been able to for whatever reason. Jesus, would you break through our apathy? Would you break through the way that we view? We don't want other people to view us a certain way. Lord, let us come boldly before your throne of grace. Jesus, you are so willing to offer it freely. Lord, we don't have to do anything to earn your salvation. We don't have to do anything to earn you taking our pain. Jesus, this morning I speak for the pain in this room. Lord, I pray that there would be people here that would touch his scars this morning, Jesus. Lord, by your wounds, they are healed. We speak that prophetically right now. 
You've been pierced for our transgressions right now. Lord, by your stripes, we are healed. Father, I speak for a level of faith to rise in this place. From amazement to belief. To belief that you are the son of God. To belief that you have truly conquered death. For those of us that think that death is stronger than you, Jesus, I speak for faith to rise in their hearts, to understand in their very core that they know Jesus conquered death and death lost its victory, death lost its sting. And Father, for everyone in here needing forgiveness of sins, may you draw them close. Lord, I lay myself down before you. We lay ourselves down before you. Forgive us, Jesus. We want to accept your new life. We thank you so much for who you are. But Father, may we be a people that do not just remember and do not just celebrate, but receive and walk in the invitation to participate in what you did 2,000 years ago. Jesus, stir in our hearts to push forward in you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Can all God's people say amen? Amen.